The Daily Rios Digest, January 1st, 2022. Movie Monday. Back on the Digest for September 12th, which was episode 520, I talked about how I was starting to watch the Studio Ghibli movies on HBO Max. And at that time, I talked about uh, Nausicaa. Um, And I said, okay, I want to watch more. They are on HBO Max. They are an important part of animation. And I really should, should... deep dive and and get into these movies. Not in a way that I'm going to try to talk about them, you know, very scholarly, very educationally, do a lot of research. No, there are better resources out there. There's a Studio Ghibli podcast. Um, They are going to deep dive. They're going to give you that kind of examination. I'm really going with my own personal experiences, uh, either with things that I have seen before, or making connections to things that I enjoy. Um, This is all just very surfacey kind of, this is a surfacey kind of approach, you know. I want to see what kind of storytelling I recognize. I want to see the folklore. I want to see the animation. I want to see how it all comes together on a personal uh, personal level. So I started with Nausicaa. I should have went forward, but no, because because I am who I am, I went backwards. And I went all the way back to The Great Adventure of Horus, Prince of the Sun, which is also known as Holes, Prince of the Sun, or Little Norse Prince Valiant. This uh, was a, a, an animation film produced by Toei Animation, released in July of 1968. It is the directorial debut of Isao Takahata, written by Kazuo Fukuzawa, and it is also the first major film by Hayao Miyazaki. So, of course, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back to see how um, an early movie maybe resonates with some of the later movies. This is set in Iron Age Scandinavia. It opens with Horus attempting to fight off a pack of wolves, waking up an ancient stone giant. Uh, His father passes away and he learns about his destiny. He finds a village. He eventually battles a a winter demon and and, uh, meets a character named Hilda. And things go from there, right? Um, So, as I said, this was 1968. So Disney had already produced movies like Snow White and Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi, all the way up through Sword in the Stone, Mary Poppins, their live-action stuff, Jungle Book, I think was the uh, movie that had come out just before this one. It was so enjoyable to watch. And you can see how, even in its rough quality, either because uh, the animation is just, you know, what it was back in 1968, or because the story, um, it feels kind of almost episodic. You know, you go from 
the opening sequence to meeting the character to going to to the discovery of what he's going to do the hero's journey finding the village meeting this character doing this thing you know it's it's kind of episodic in that way um so it has a lot of the beginning trappings of what eventually will become some outstanding movies even with all that it was really enjoyable i had a great time i watched it in i think two chunks um, immediately I recognized a lot of things, whether, whether these are direct inspirations or they are just coincidence, but things like, um, Aesop's fable about the lion and the thorn, Fantasia, Night on Bald Mountain, Pinocchio, Moby Dick, even like Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, King Arthur, Thor. I mean, it, it's, you can read a lot of the same storytelling stuff in this movie that you would find in a lot of those things as well. And along with those aspects, of course, there are aspects that make um, what, I, what I, I'm assuming I'm going to find in a lot of the other Studio Ghibli stuff, like uh, obviously Destiny, being one with nature, uh, the uncertainty of what is good and evil or who is good and evil, people coming together, restoring nature, inner conflict with oneself, unity, etc., etc. Um, just a lot of beautiful scenes and visual tricks as I was watching it. There's a sailing scene early on where the sun passes behind Horus and creates this solar flare, which is really great. The forest scene with its enchantments and visions and kaleidoscope feel turned the movie into a whole other movie when it got to that part. It opens with that vicious wolf fight, which was really unexpected. I was like, whoa, we are in it. Um, and then when the wolves attack the village later on, instead of uh, strict animation, it jumps into this sequence where it's just a bunch of still shots, one after the other, whether for budget reasons or just for effect. And it's a great way to show perspectives uh, of the different battles. You get a real sense of manic... Um, I liked it. I actually really liked that scene. And then there's a scene with Hilda and, and Drago. And Drago is standing outside a window. You're looking at him. And there's a shield nearby. And in the reflection, you can see Hilda just sitting on a bed. And it's kind of creepy, especially if you know what her character's story is. I'm finding that you get to see some visual cues and shorthands as you're wa watching these movies, such as Horace's father, who his face is entirely masked with hair except for his nose and maybe an eye, the character of Drago. His his loyalties are, are questionable, right? So, of course, he's drawn in a very exaggerated way, and he has that kind of bumbling sidekick to, to the main villain feel. Hilda... Uh, although she is drawn, perhaps you can say, uh, stereotypically for, for an ingenue character or for a female character, her eyes, though, look like they're almost dead. It's very haunting, very haunting. It was, it was kind of difficult to watch. Um, a lot of surprising moments. The first time Horace meets, meets Grunwald, Horus being tricked into attacking Hilda was a good sequence. Hilda's attack on Horus was surprising. It's thoroughly enjoyable for, for what it was, for what it was back in 1968, for what it will eventually help to inspire and create uh, some 
when was Studio Studio Ghibli was formed, but in the early 80s, I think. So, yeah, really enjoyable. It's on Amazon Prime. I'm glad I watched it. I'm going to try to watch um, some other movies that predate uh, the, the formation of Studio Ghibli just to kind of get a, a, a groundwork, a foundation into the major movies of, of animation, right? You know, I, I've, I certainly did it with Disney there for a while. I was watching all of their movies in order. Um, and I feel like this is this is fun and necessary for me, and I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. So, so let me know. Let me know if you've ever seen Horace, and um, if you haven't and you have 90 minutes to spare, give it a look. TV Tuesday. I did about a third or fourth watch of Lost in Space on Netflix in anticipation of season three and then watched all episodes uh, of season three, all eight episodes. Uh, I'm not really going to go too in depth here. So if you if you are going to watch it, you know, you're not going to get spoiled by anything. I, I just really, really enjoy that program. Um, I'm, I'm a little sad that it's ending. Um, and then I remembered that there are some comic books that, uh, you know, take place within that universe. So I'm going to have to go seek those out just to see how they are. I thoroughly enjoyed that show. When I watched the first season, I was just amazed at how emotional it was. I loved the family aspect and I love the sci-fi aspect, and especially that it was grounded grounded in kind of like educational sci-fi that you were learning while you were watching. And this family was very smart and, and led by a mother who was very smart and would explain things, but it was still very dramatic and it was still within the, the parameters of the show, within parameters of entertainment, you know. Um, I laughed a lot. I teared up a lot. I got excited about a lot of the cliffhangers. And when you have a show that has Parker Posey in it, of course I'm going to watch it because I'm I really enjoy watching Parker Posey um, in anything. Um, it's a smart show, and I, I enjoy watching smart people solving issues in a grounded way. Now, some of season three didn't quite approach that stuff, all that stuff that I like. I think the first four episodes for me, they were more about kind of high adventure, still science fiction, still kind of learning things. But I think they I think they wanted to kick off season three with, you know, just some high emotion and some high energy and some high stakes because of the situation of season three. And then we did get to a few episodes where I was like, okay, now this feels more like season one, season two. And then, you know, they wrapped it up. Um, I enjoy when shows 
that are reboots or refreshes of older properties. I like when they um, hit on concepts that that you're like, okay, we got to the point in our version where some of the older versions might have started from. So, for instance, I think all of season one, the 10 episodes of season one, by the end of season one, you get all of the characters together in one situation, which is how Lost in Space was originally, right? So you had the mother, the father, you had the three kids, you had Dr. Smith, and then you had Don West. Well, it took, you know, eight, nine, ten episodes in season one for all of them to come together and then all of them to truly be lost in space. And it it played out well. It played out in very smart ways, in ways that I didn't think um, would happen. And I like that. And then by the end of season two, even though they had the robot in season one, that's when at the end of season two where the robot really becomes part of the family. I mean, there's this great scene with Dr. Smith, where the robot has um, five lights within the front facial design, and then they merge to form one big solid circle, you know, to, to emphasize family. And at the end of, near the end of season two, the family has a scene where they need to save the robot from something. And they all rush in and they, are, and they all cradle him. And you can see the robot's face highly expressive. I mean, Brian Steele who played the, who did the inside of the robot, you know, the one that was um, moving around this gigantic um, uh, space suit or gigantic robot suit. Just super expressive, amazingly expressive. And um, uh, that scene where they all come together and go to rescue the robot and they, they, you can tell that they actually care about him and he cares about them. Just... I mean, I've seen this season two, you know, at least two, three times or whatever. And again, just so, so, so emotional. This series has made me a fan of actors like Molly Parker. Uh, definitely uh, feel like I could watch Molly in anything. Mina Sunwall is so good in the show. A lot of the side characters are great. And of course, come on, Parker Posey. Watching Parker Posey in this show as Dr. Smith is an acting lesson. The the subtle choices, the way she is a chameleon in any given situation or whoever she is acting with at that time, you know, she has to make choices and you see them and you see like a hundred of them in one scene. Um, there's a scene in season two where she is running with some of the administrative people or security uh, on the big space station. And she's running, but you can tell she's acting like she's running. And it's a it's a choice because she she wants to show that she's concerned and she's with them. Yes, we have to run to the situation, but she's totally playing a game. And certain looks that she throws, like to the character of Penny, because she sees a lot of herself in Penny. And um, sometimes it's 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 like, oh, I figured out what you did. And other times it's like, huh, that was pretty good. That was pretty smart, right? I see a, a character, I see that she has a, a soul like I do. Um, she's always doing something on in a scene 
And I thought they used her really well in a lot of like, especially season one and in season two, um, to help move the story or to throw a little, you know, twist in the plot in season three, mm, you know, she's, she's fine. I, I liked, I like, I always still like her acting. I don't think they used her the way they did in seasons one and season two. They, they, they had some Dr. Smith elements. In fact, I think a lot of season three, some of the story, um, I think they might have lost some of the 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 end points of of where they were going to. Like they had all this set up in season one and season two, and they had things that could have logically become moments in season three because of what happened. But they went a different way. So some of their choices, I was like, oh, see, if you would give a little more showcase of how the Robinsons affect everyone, um, I don't know. It's hard to say without going into spoilers. And I don't want to go into spoilers just yet because it's still so new for, for people, maybe. All to say, I did like season three. Um, I enjoyed where it ended. And there are some really great moments really sad moments here and there. Um, always was a fan with some of the special effects that they decided to do. Um, for only being 28 episodes, you know, 10 episodes, 10 episodes, and 8 episodes, it's it's worth your time, especially if you have a family. I can't imagine some of your younger family that they're not going to enjoy this if they're enjoying other kind of like space stuff. Um yeah, it might be cheesy and it might take a couple episodes to see um, how this story fully develops. But man, there, there, there's some great acting and some really great dialogue work and um, things that play out and pay off, especially if you're watching in kind of like a binge watch mode. So Lost in Space, Lost in Space Season 3. Um I probably will rewatch this again sometime this year. I mean, I, I or next year. I I love the show. I really, really do love the show. It has some. I I feel like I can rewatch it and and just watch some new things and not get tired of it. So, um, but I am looking forward to also uh, the new season of Cobra Kai. Um, can't wait for that. So um, that'll probably be my next project. I'm also. Hoping to get back to some of the Marvel Netflix stuff. Um, because I started with Daredevil and I think I got two seasons on that. I got one season with um, Jessica Jones. Uh, and I'm watching things in order, so I do need to get to get back to those as well. So, Lost in Space. Let me know. Let me know if you were watching it um, or if, if you what you thought of season three. Comic books like Star Wars, The Hulk, Swamp Thing, and Batman. Alfredo Alcala signed two new books at Comics on Parade, including one that details the thoughts behind his illustrations. Fans were ready to hear the key into becoming a successful illustrator. Them to do is, is study the drawing. Don't just buy a comic with pull up uh, exaggerations because they will not learn how to draw that way. They will learn the say the type of a comic uh, art that was already existing. 
Alcala's book's secret teachings of a comic book master is about what the title suggests. His drawings fill his other book, Moonshot, The Flight of Apollo 12. The book tells the true story of the second man mission to the moon. Alcala learned his craft all on his own and has his first works published in the 60s. New Comics Wednesday. New Comics Wednesday for the last Wednesday of the year for the week of December 29th. We kick off with two from tomorrow's publishing, Alter Ego 172, which is a spotlight on Alfredo Alcala, who was one of the many creators that came in during the 70s, during the Philippine uh, invasion. Tony Desonigo was the first, and or one of the first, and then um, editor Joe Orlando and publisher Carmine Infantino traveled to the Philippines. And that's where we would get Alfredo Alcala, Ernie Chan, Alex Nino, Nestor Redondo, etc. Uh, Alfredo, Alcala, Alfredo Alcala is known for Savage Sword of Conan, also a lot of inking on like Batman and some other titles. And this Alter Ego magazine uh, just spotlights a lot of his work, also features an interview with his sons, Alfred and Christian. Also from tomorrow's, we have our artists at war, best of the best American war comics for $27.95, taking a look at war comics uh, as published in American comics, such as EC Comics with Two-Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat, Warren Publishing with Blazing Combat, from DC, anything from Enemy Ace, all-American Men of War, G.I. Combat, Our Army at War, etc. With Charlton Comics, Willie Schultz, and the Iron Corporal, and so much more. From DC Black Label, we have Swamp Thing Green Hell, number one of three, I think. Uh, Written by Jeff Lemire, art by Doug Monkey. The Earth is all but done. The last remnants of humanity cling to a mountaintop island lost in endless floodwater. The parliaments of the green, the red, and the rot all agree. It's time to wipe the slate clean and start the cycle of life over again. To do so, they've united their powers to summon an avatar, one of the most horrific monsters to ever stalk the surface of this forsaken planet. Against a creature like that, there can be no fighting back unless you have a soldier who understands the enemy, someone who has used its tactics before, someone like Alec Holland. Of course, it would help if Alec Holland hadn't been dead for decades. A gory, gruesome monster mash where the fate of humanity rests in the hands of someone who isn't human at all. $6.99. From a company called Gestalton, we have Marvel by Design. This is $69. It's a coffee table book. Uh, One of the most recognizable brands in the world, Marvel has spent the last 80 years inspiring generations of creatives through its approach to visual storytelling. Marvel by Design celebrates the company's visual language with an in-depth exploration of the design process behind the brand's most recognizable graphical elements, including logos, covers, lettering, layout, color palettes, the distinct graphic uh, language that you'll find in 60s pop art, present-day digital culture, etc., $3.99. 
Throughout the book, Marvel by Design will connect the dots between comic book culture and its influence in every creative field, including graphic design, editorial design, movies, and visual culture at large. And from Marvel, perhaps a sequel to Kang, the Conqueror miniseries, or maybe like an epilogue of sorts. Uh, I pre-ordered this, so I haven't read it yet. Marvel Timeless One-Shot, $5.99. Jed McKay, Kev Walker, and other artists. How do you win a war against time? This is a special year-ending adventure that gives portents as to what is to come in the Marvel Universe over the next 12 months. It's one of those kind of one-shots that I really, really enjoy that DC does so well and that Marvel every now and then does so well. Um, When a parallel timeline threatens to overwrite the future that Kang the Conqueror has fought so long and so hard to control, the Master of the Ages has no choice but to go to war with time itself. uh, Battling through days of tomorrow as he struggles to prevent the end of what is to come. Um... I did see some buzz about this, especially about that last page. So if you haven't read it, um, try not to get spoiled. Or if you're someone who's like, eh, let me know what the spoilers are. Just look up Marvel Timeless ending and um, you will see what Marvel may or may not have in store, <laughs> um, you know, for for 2022. Something that they've been they've been teasing quite honestly for a long time. Um, I can give you a hint. It kind of feels like what DC did with Doomsday Clock. Okay, there you go. That's your final New Comics Wednesday for 2021. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. You'll never guess who he wants to be. (laughs) Spider-Man. Why? Well, he knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. Lord knows, kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names, and years later they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and and give up the thing we want the most, even our dreams. 
Spider-Man did that for Henry, and he wonders where he's gone. He needs him. Do you think you could lift that desk and put it into the garage for me? But don't strain yourself. Okay. Friday wrap-up. Friday wrap-up here at the end of the year. Um, this is really the, the, <laughs> the only kind of segment I could think to do uh, as we wrap up the year of 2021. Um, so this is the 26th Digest, so that means I've done half a year of Digests. That's kind of awesome. Um, I continue to dig this format, and I hope you do too. It helps me stay concise. It helps me burn through a lot of projects all in one. And I don't have to do it daily. I can, Well, I mean, I record daily. Sometimes I don't. Um, but I'm able to think about each subject and um, able to put it all together um, relatively quickly because I can do small chunks, record it, set it aside, put it all together, put some bumpers in, and it's done by the weekend. Um, and it also makes me think of how to do short bursts, right? I could go super in-depth about a lot of these topics, but that's not the point with a digest. It's in the name, right? Digest. It's digestible, digest small, whatever. Um, uh, some of the stuff I do think I, I could expand out into a larger episode, and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, but all to say, I, I've been having a lot of fun with this. I hope you have as well. I would love to hear... Now that I have 26 of these, half a year, you know, which segments do you really dig? Which one do you want me to, to continue quickly <laughs> at a faster pace? Um, which ones do you think deserve more expansion? Um, I want to hear from you. I want, I want 2022 to, to have more listener involvement. Um, I get some really great emails from people. Um, I would love to hear from uh, some new listeners, names that I haven't seen in a while, or maybe not at all, um, whether it's a short little email, a comment on the website, on Twitter, or throw me a, a, an audio blurb. Um, that's something that I guess, because social media really exploded, um, you know, in the past seven, eight, nine years or whatever, uh, emailing into podcasts, that's the, that kind of has slowed down a bit. Um, over the, over those years, um, we used to get a ton of emails on CGS because that was the only way you could really communicate, right? Other than the forum, but there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. I don't want to start um, a Dale Rio's Facebook page. You know, I don't, I don't, I have enough social media platforms that I'm behind on that I don't want another one to go to. So um, yeah, just pop an email, you know, throw it my way. Um, I would love to hear from you. If this was something that I was doing because I really wanted to make it like, uh, you know, a, a job of sorts, yeah, then I probably would do Facebook. I, I probably would rethink, you know, Patreon and all that kind of stuff. But for now, I'm, I'm keeping this um, um, uh, to my schedule. Um, but, uh, like I said, yeah, I would love more feedback. So, so what are we going to do in 2022 at the Daily Rios? We're going to continue the digests, obviously. This is all leading up to the 10th anniversary in July. And 
as I think about that anniversary, as I think about that July starting date, I realized, okay, yes, a lot of people are going to use the new year, the new 2022, January, and they're going to start some new stuff and, and run with it. Great. And I was going to do that too. And then I kind of put the brakes on that and said, whoa, you have a lot of things you need to finish. A lot of things you're in the middle of, a lot of things that if you only did like one or two more episodes, you'd be done with. Um, let's build that list up and for the next, uh, you know, up through to July, let's try to concentrate on that in the next six months and use the true Daily Rios anniversary, which is July 2nd, as, as a new starting point for whatever it is I want to do after that. And, and believe me, I, I am sitting on a list of stuff that I really want to get to, um, that I thought I would get to in January. And I said, no, no, Peter, no, uh, I'm going to save it for July. 2022 has a lot of anniversaries in comics and also in my life as well. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm going to wait, but they're going to be fun and they're going to be, you know, I'm looking forward to it and I'll try to start them early so I can get a jump. Um, but until then, I want to finish Smallville and I want to finish long overdue episodes on certain comics or events. I want to do more Zoom panels. You, you already heard or you, you will hear, um, a George Perez panel, which I had a lot of fun with and I want to do more of those. Uh, I finally wrapped up all of my trivia questions. I got them all written down in a spreadsheet. So I want to do a Zoom trivia panel. So let me know if you're on board with that because I could do, you know, let's do a whole day on Watchmen trivia. Let's do a whole day on just covers. Let's do a whole trivia matchup on creators. You know, I can make it real specific. So I want to do that. I want to get more conversations in general with creators and with li listeners one-on-one -on -one or, or however else I decide to pair things together. Kind of like what I did with Sean, Rosa, and Barry. Uh, obviously, conversations like I've had with Dave Dwanch or Kurt M. Um, I have some thoughts about what I want to do. Send me your best of or end of year categories, things that you want me to talk about for the year 2021. I would love to jump into that uh, as we kick off into January. And one of the things I want to try to do, as I think I've been doing the last, I think it's been like a half a year, maybe, where I was kind of like, you know, I have a lot of lists and I have a lot of things I want to do. Just do, right? I think I said in one of those segments way back in one of the digests, you know, if you do something badly, at least you're still doing it. And that's, I'm continuing that track. And there are some topics that I want to jump in on. And if I only do one every four months, okay. But at least I started it and, and then I'll, you know, try to finish it. But I'm trying to um, be impulsive, but swim in those impulses a little more. Not just be impulsive and then let them go. Like if I'm like, oh, I really want to do that, then do it. Go ahead and do it. Write the notes, put it out. And, and at least it's there, and then you can think about how to continue after that. So that's kind of my plan. I'm not making any resolutions for 2022. I think I saw online where somebody said, no, it's not our job to do resolutions this year. It's, it's the entire world's job to do better for us. <laughs> Instead of us doing better for the world, 
the whole situation of what has gone on from 2021, 2020, all the way to, you know, 2016, um, the world needs to do better. So I'm not doing any resolutions this year. I'm, I'm just looking at the things that I like to do. And if I get to do all of them every day, great. If I only get to do four or five, five of them, great. Also great. Um, so yeah, I have, uh, some vacation. I'm still on vacation from school for another couple weeks. And, uh, I just want to keep on podcasting and I just want to keep on doing the comic book thing. And I want you all to come along on the ride. Peter at thedailyrios.com. Go to the website, thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Follow the Instagram, thedailyrios. Send me some promos. Send me those best of categories. Send me any feedback that you want. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 540, the 26th Digest for Saturday, January 1st, 2022. Talk to you soon. I'm starting a game of cat and mouse. You better make damn sure you're the cat. Can I help you? No, but I can help you. When I catch a Robinson, you need to think like a Robinson. I lived with those people for seven months. You want to know what makes them tick? You talk to me.